0: Well, good morning everybody. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church of San Antonio. Um, and it's a great privilege and honor to be able to get up this morning and to come up here and to share God's word with you. I kind of feel like, um, really, um, after singing the songs that we sang, I don't really need to get up here and say anything. I was ministered to pretty well through those songs. But I um, but we are going to open up God's Word this morning because it is one of our top values, right? Preaching um, God's Word. Because we believe that through God's Word, we are changed and we continue to be changed. And we want to be a changed people. Yes. On May 21st, 2009, uh, Mohammed Sahel, who was a Long Island convenience store owner, around midnight, he's closing up his store uh, and suddenly, this masked man bursts in. There's a bat in his hand. He starts waving it at Sohel and he's, and he's threatening him. If he doesn't open up the cash register and give him everything in there, he's going to give him what for with that bat. Sohel is surprised. He's never been robbed before and tries to stall a little bit and then thinks quickly about the rifle he has kind of stored away. He grabs the rifle, points it at the robber, and uh, the robber does something. Stunning. He drops the bat, falls to his knees, and he starts crying. And he starts pleading with Sohail. And he says, basically, that he, he, he had to turn to robbing stores because he lost his job and he needed a way to pay for food for his family. And Sohail, holding the rifle, trembling, shaking, looking at this masked man on his knees in tears, crying before him, suddenly had a change of heart. And he kind of lowered the gun, he opened the cash register, reached in, grabbed $40 out of it, sent his clerk to get a loaf of bread off of the shelf, and he handed the $40 to the robber, gave the loaf of bread to him, and he said, I'm gonna let you go on one condition that you promise you will never rob again now the thief, he's equally surprised uh, gets up off of the floor looks at the money and the bread puts the bread down, grabs the bat, tucks the money in his belt and runs off so Hale, right after that, calls the police, but he tells the police that Um, he he doesn't want to press any charges if the man is ever caught. Now, what would you do if you were in that situation? Would you want justice to be done for this man to face the authorities and to go to court and trial and go through all all what would be deserved for what he's doing? Or would you take into account his situation, his desperate plea for help, and show mercy to him? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're in the Beatitudes, which is in Matthew chapter 5, through 7, five, and it covers uh, the first part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching the people. We're going to look at just verse 7 this morning, blessed are the merciful, um, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to start by reading through the first um, seven verses. So if you can, go ahead and stand up, if possible, as we read. God's Word. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness For they shall be satisfied Blessed are the merciful For they shall receive mercy Please join me in prayer Oh Heavenly Father we come before you this morning Lord Thanking you For the mercy that you've shown us Lord We are in desperate need lost in our sin, miserable, pitiful, helpless, weak. And at the right time, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and demonstrated your love towards us. And we just pray this morning, Father, that we can really grasp this beatitude, that we can really see that as believers in Jesus, we are merciful. Even in times when we just don't feel merciful. I know for myself, this has been a challenging and convicting uh, time of of study and preparation, and you've worked on my heart, Lord. I just pray that your word would go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and work on the hearts of the people here, Father, this morning. We want to be changed. We want to be more like Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So leading up to Matthew 5, in Matthew's gospel, we get the genealogy of Jesus, we get the birth narrative of Jesus, we get Jesus being... I think I just lost my microphone. (laughs) We get Jesus uh, being baptized by John in the Jordan River. We get Jesus being tempted by the devil. And then we get Jesus, uh, after the temptation, going back to Capernaum and kind of establishing his, um, his, his place of ministry there. And then he goes along the sea gally. I'm just going to bring it out like this. Clip it here. Good. And he he walks along the beach and he calls two sets of brothers to be his disciples. And then he's going around um, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's healing diseases, casting out demons. And then in Matthew 4:25 and great crowds great crowds, followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. And then in, like, in Moses-like fashion, what does he do? He goes up on a mountain, right? But he's not going up there to get 10 new commandments to give to people. Commandments that come to us from the outside and can't change us from the inside. Commandments that can't make us righteous by following them. Commandments whose sole purpose to really is to show us our sin. He's not doing that. Now Jesus goes up on the mountain to do something different. He sits down and he begins to teach. And what is he teaching them about? Well, look at verse 3. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 10. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching them about life in the kingdom of heaven. Life in the kingdom of heaven. So these beatitudes, they're not a list that we follow to strive after, to become more like these things here that we see between verses 3 and 10. They're a description of the attitudes and behaviors of those who are living in the kingdom, who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They're a description of the way God is making us on the inside so that we look a certain way on the outside. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those who we've already looked at the last few weeks. They are those who are poor in spirit, recognizing that they're spiritually bankrupt before a holy and just God. And they mourn their condition because of their helpless state. They can't do anything about it. And in shame, they bow in humility with meekness before God. And they hunger and thirst in righteousness, as we heard last week from Pastor Jared, because they want to live in a way that pleases God. This is vastly different, vastly different from the behaviors and the attitudes of those who are the citizens of the world, right? Citizens of the world, they're not born in the spirit. They already have all that they need. They don't need God. They aren't mourning their condition. They're content with right where they are. They aren't meek. They're proud and believe that only the strong survive. And they aren't hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They live to please themselves. And, and whatever they're doing is, is right in their own eyes. That's the kingdom of the world. But if you're a believer in Jesus, right, if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, Jesus is giving a description of who you are, who I am, not who we can strive to be. Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are those who try to be merciful. He says, Blessed are the merciful. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones famously said, a Christian is somebody, a Christian is somebody, before he does anything. So it all starts with who we are. And we spent the last four weeks looking through the Beatitudes, and hopefully, as, as we've gone through them, as Jared and Andrew have preached on them, you've seen this kind of progression, right? So you have to be, you can't have the next one until you have the one before. So those who are in Lord spirit will then be mourning, and then they will be meek. And then they will be hungering and seeking righteousness. But I want you to notice, too, that these first four, they're, they're pointed in a certain direction. They're pointed in a vertical direction, right? It's, it's between really between us and God that were those first four. But when we come to these next three, that direction, that vertical direction, now it starts to change to the horizontal level. Right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We can't, we can't show mercy to God because as we'll see, he doesn't need anything. He's not in a pitiful condition. But these first th- or these next three, they rely on the first four. You can't get to the next three where we are today until you have those first four. They're not vertically focused. They're horizontally, horizontally focused. They're focused on our fellow man. Right? And in a sense... They kind of encompass, maybe they even manifest the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we get a picture of those two greatest commandments here in, the, in these Beatitudes, And the first way that we love our neighbor as ourselves is by showing them mercy, being merciful to them. So here's what I want to do with our time this morning. The main point of the sermon really is what Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, right? I can't put it in any better words than that. But what I want to do is I want to look at three things, really. What does it mean to be merciful? What does it look like? And next why are disciples of jesus merciful and why they, why will they receive mercy and finally how can we grow to be more merciful to others because i think as we'll see we're not always merciful we want to be but it's just not the case that we are so first what does it mean to be merciful what does it look like now i could give you a de- definition of merciful but that'd be kind of boring, and we wouldn't really take away anything from it. But I think I want to do, what I wanna do is I want scripture to kind of show us. So go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, and looking at verse 21. Just before this, Jesus uh, has been teaching, and he talks about if, somebody, if your brother comes and sins against you, and he explains a process for how to handle that. And then it prompts Peter to ask this question in verse 21. Uh, For how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes on to tell this parable to kind of demonstrate what he means by that. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. If you have an ESV like mine, you can look down in the notes, and you'll see there that a talent was about 20 years' wages. 20 years' worth of wages. And he owed how many? 10,000. Which makes verse 25 kind of an understatement, right? And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. He's to be thrown into debtor's prison, in other words. And that would be just, right? Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. In verse 27, the master, out of pity for him, released him And forgave him the debt He's moved to pity By his condition He could have justly thrown him into prison Until the debt was paid But moved by pity He forgives the debt Notice that he doesn't say Ah, what's money anyway It's not a big deal And it's not your fault I'll just let you go No, he, he forgives him the debt In other words, he's absorbing that debt himself He's taking in that cost On his own The master is. He's forgiving him the debt. But when that same servant, verse 28, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. You look at the notes again, a denarii is worth one day's wages. Not a lot of money, right? Compared to the 10,000 talents he owed. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And he forgave him the debt like the master forgave him the debt? He had pity on him? No. No, he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had, had taken place, they were greatly distressed. No kidding. I think all of us would meet. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Delivers him to the jailers. Uh, That's a nice word for torturers or even merciless jailers. So the one who's unmerciful here, he's getting no mercy now. So also, Jesus kind of sums it all up in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So forgiveness is tied up in mercy, right? So some things we get from this passage: man pleads for mercy, pleads for uh, his debt to be forgiven. The, the master, out of moved with pity, forgives the debt, takes it upon himself, takes that cost, forgives him the debt. But when the servant is unmerciful. The master chastens him. You should have been merciful. As I was merciful, right? You should have shown mercy. There's an expectation there. And those who are unmerciful aren't shown mercy. All right, flip a few pages over to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Keith preached a sermon on this uh, three, four months ago. It's excellent. I don't know if it's in our archives. You can go back and look at it. Um, verse uh, 31 talking about the final judgment the final judgment Jesus here teaching Matthew 25 verse 31 we're not going to look at the whole thing but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left They were in a a desperate state, right? Desperate state. And these people that Jesus is talking to on the right, they obviously saw them in this state, but they didn't just leave them there. They didn't just take pity on them. What did they do? They helped them. They relieved them of their suffering, right? And it's almost like they don't realize it. Verse 35, for I was hungry and he gave me food, right? And then the righteous, verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? So it's almost like they don't realize what they've done, right? They're they're not really expecting a reward in return. They're not blowing a trumpet like the hypocrites that Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew 6. They just did it. And and the king, Jesus says in verse 40, and the king will answer them Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. So it's not that he's saying that it's like they did it to him. What is Jesus saying? You did it to me. You're doing it to him. So those on the right are blessed. That's what he says, right? Blessed. Come to me, those who are blessed, and blessed because of the way they relieved the suffering of all these types of people, they did it out of humility, not expecting anything in return. And what they did to those who were suffering, they actually did to Jesus Himself. I right, flip to Luke, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter six. We're going to look briefly here. This is a passage that Andrew just read when we read scripture. This is Luke, in Luke's gospel, it's called the Sermon on the Plain, not the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has a lot of similar teaching to the Sermon on the Mount. Some of it's here. But look again at 632. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. when we do these things we're not doing them to friends he says don't do them to friends because that's what the sinners do right? don't love just those who are your friends don't just lend to those who are your friends and they'll pay you back don't do good to those who are just your friends he's talking the context here is enemies or enemies so we're not going to get stuff back from them are we? not likely and we shouldn't expect to and then since this is this is God the way he deals with us, isn't it? That's why we'll be sons of the Most High if we do these things. And that's why Jesus says at the end, be merciful as our, as our Father is merciful. Because he's done that for us. He's, he's shown love to his enemies. He's lended to those who are his enemies. He's done good to those who are his enemies. And that's what Jesus says. You'll be sons of the Most High when you do those things. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful as your father is merciful. It sums up everything that he just talked about in Luke 6, 32 to 36. All right, last one. Flip a couple pages to Luke 10. 10, 25. And this is kind of one of the key passages of all four we've looked at. It's really going to bring a lot of what it means to be merciful out. There's a lawyer who stands up. He's putting Jesus to the test. He asks him, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, what is written in the law? What, is it, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I'm sorry. And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor's as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But this lawyer, he wants to justify himself to Jesus. So he asks him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, in verse 30, goes on to tell a story, right, of a, of, a, of a man who's on a journey. A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. He's in a miserable state. He's in a helpless state. He can't do anything for himself. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he saw him, he did what? He passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. Verse 33, here comes the shocking part, but a Samaritan as he journeyed he's going on business He's going, he has something he's going to do Came to where the man, where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. The word is splognesomai. Splognesomai. It's the same word that's used for pity in Matthew 18, where the master looks on the servant with pity. It means inward parts, and it's a it's a deep compassion. You feel it deep within yourself. This compassion is so deep that you're, you can almost get into the skin of the other person and feel their pain and their suffering. That's how deep this word splognizomai, me, uh, that's what it means, this deep-seated compassion. It's in your guts. It's, you feel it in your stomach, in your splognon. It's a great word. <laughs> but verse 34, notice he doesn't He doesn't just have compassion for him. He doesn't just have this deep-seated compassion for the man. Verse 34. He went to him. It moves him. It moves him so much that he goes to him. He went to him. And what does he do? He binds up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, expensive things. He sets him on his own animal. He brings him to an inn. And takes care of him. And that's not all. Verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So he doesn't just see the man in his pitiful, helpless, just miserable condition, and just, Oh, that's so bad. I feel for that man. I feel deeply for that man. What does he do? He goes to him. He he expends energy and time and and cost. Oil and wine aren't cheap. He puts him up on his own animal. He takes him to a place of refuge. And then he, he takes care of him there, binds up his wounds. And then he leaves money for the innkeeper to take further care of him until he's able to be able to go on his own. And then offers to pay more when he comes back through again on another journey. Jesus asks in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And notice what the lawyer says. He catches what the man is doing, what the Samaritan is doing. He said in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. We really can't miss it here either. This is a Samaritan, right? Right? And it doesn't make a lot of sense to us Samaritans and Jews but this would have been a huge deal to those who are listening to Jesus' parable here because Samaritans and Jews they hated each other. They hated each other. Deep, deep hatred. It was a long period of hatred against one another. They had done awful things to each other in their history. And who's the one that comes, sees the man, feels compassion, goes and does something for him? It's this Samaritan. He doesn't do it for someone who will repay him. He doesn't do it for, he does it for someone who is considered his enemy. You go and do likewise, Jesus tells the lawyer. So we've looked at these four passages now, right? I mean, hopefully we can put together a definition of what it means to be merciful, right? So being merciful isn't just someone seeing someone who's in a miserable state and feeling compassion for them. It's certainly not that. Right, it's it's James, he talks against that. In James chapter 2, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Like, I'm gonna, I'll pray for you, brother, right? And, And they don't, he says, without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? What good is that? Just seeing the person feeling sympathy for them, it doesn't count as being merciful. I think based on what we've seen, it's clear that being merciful, it really has two parts to it, right? The first part is it includes withholding judgment out of pity. That's what we saw in Matthew 18. So there, so in that parable, um, there's a debt, an no, unpayable debt that the servant owed, right? Compare that to our sin. It's unpayable. We can't do anything about it. We can't pay God back for our sin debt. And yet the master has pity on the servant. He comes, he asks for forgiveness from the master, and he, he has pity on him, and he forgives him the debt. He absorbs it, He withholds the judgment, right? So merciful, being merciful is withholding judgment out of pity. But most importantly, it means seeing someone who is in a miserable, helpless condition, and out of this deep feeling of compassion for that person, sympathizing with them so greatly that you get into their skin you can feel their discomfort and pain, and then you take action to relieve their suffering. I think Jay Adams, he he says it in his commentary on Matthew, he, he says it so well, he says, The Greek word from which mercy comes, it meant pity plus action to relieve misery. It was not merely the feeling, but also the act that was in view. Mercy means helping those who are hurt by sin, and we recognize that, right? All the misery, the suffering that we see all around us each and every day, it's brought about by sin. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Until Jesus comes again and writes everything, that's the way it's going to be. It does not mean overlooking sin. We don't just excuse it. God certainly doesn't. He doesn't say, ah, what's sin? Anyway, it's not your fault. You couldn't help it. God doesn't look at it that way. We're certainly responsible for our sin. But it means looking beyond sin to the misery it occasions. So that's what it means to be merciful, right? That's what it means to be merciful. Withholding judgment out of pity, seeing someone who's in this miserable state feeling compassion, this deep compassion for them, and then acting to relieve their suffering. So, why are disciples merciful? Disciples of Jesus. And why do they receive mercy? So Matthew 5 7 again, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So first, as disciples of Jesus, we are merciful. We are merciful. That's what Jesus is saying in these Beatitudes, we are these things. Because we are those who recognize that we need mercy. We've been brought to a point where we really realize our miserable, wretched condition. We're not like those in Matthew 9 who Um, is complaining to Jesus about him hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and and they ask his his, uh, disciples, why does he do that? And Jesus tells them those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We're not like those people. We're not like those who later on in the book of Revelation and Laodicea, the church there, they were saying, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. But Jesus says that they're re- not realizing that they're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We're not like the Pharisee in the temple and Luke 18, who's with the tax collector there. And he, he's talking about how he gives tithes and he's thankful that he's not like those other people and not like that tax collector there. We're not like that, no. Instead, we've come to recognize that we're poor in spirit and we mourn our sin. We approach God then in meekness and humility and we seek from God the righteousness that we need to live holy lives. Second, as disciples of Jesus, we are merciful because we are those who have been shown mercy. We recognize that we, we need mercy and then we recognize that we've been shown mercy by God. We can see this if you want to flip there. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul there is describing our condition. Our miserable pitiful condition before God acts in mercy and look at the first three verses we're dead in our trespasses and sins we walk following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air we're sons of disobedience and daughters of disobedience living in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind that before Christ that's our condition poor, miserable, pitiful, wretched lost and guess what there's nothing we could do about that nothing we could do to change that no way for us to overcome it we're stuck like that for all eternity that's the condition we would be stuck in for all eternity but praise God we didn't stay like that did we look at the verse 4 But God, but God, got to love those words, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, kindness, mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. God looked down on our pitiful, miserable, helpless condition, and out of his great compassion, because he's merciful and rich in mercy, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And third, brings us to our our last point here, third, as disciples of Jesus, we are merciful because we are those who in Christ, we are in Christ, the one who is is mercy, the one who is mercy. We are merciful because we are uh, those who are in Christ, the one who is mercy. Notice, look, in, in Ephesians 2, 5, God made us alive together with Christ, together with Christ. We've been united to him. This is Christ's. The one who, in, in Philippians 2, uh, Andrew pointed this out a couple of weeks ago, Christ sees our example of humility, right? In mercy, he sees our miserable, con- sinful condition, and in mercy, remembering mercy is what? A deep-seated compassion. It's, it's it's We can almost get in the skin of the person who's suffering. Who's suffering, I've never seen this before till, till God really showed it to me this week as I was thinking about it. Christ in mercy, what does he do? He leaves heaven, comes down to earth. In Philippians 2, 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So think about that. Christ, he becomes like us. He takes on flesh, human flesh. He dwelt with us in the incarnation. Christ is mercy, personified. He's mercy in the flesh because he came down, dwelt with us, dwelt in flesh, felt our pain. And then he died. He died to relieve us of our suffering. That is amazing. Amazing, and now we're in Christ. We've been made alive together with Christ. We're united to Him, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, five seventeen that God has given us a new nature. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; the new has come. And Ephesians one, we've been sealed in the Holy Spirit, so that we who are in Christ no longer walk according to flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. So, as those who have been shown great mercy by God, whose natures have been changed and are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're able to show mercy to others. And Christ gives us the eyes that we need to see and have compassion for those that we see all around us each and every day. He enables us to see that. So Matthew 5 7 again, blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? They shall receive mercy. I mean, that sounds kind of strange. But blessed are the merciful who, re- who, uh, who shall receive mercy. So what I want to ask now, and this is going to be difficult maybe to hear, but what about those um, who aren't merciful? Who aren't merciful? Now I realize like for us as believers in Jesus, we are merciful, we've said that. But there are times where we're not merciful, right? We're not. I know that. I've I've examined myself all uh, as I've been studying, preparing for this sermon, as I've been thinking about it. I've been examining myself, testing myself, like Paul says we're to do in 2 Corinthians 13. None of us are 100% merciful all the time. I wish that I was, and I hope that you wish that you were too. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine ourselves. Why does he say that? Because because we're great at fooling ourselves into believing that we're somebody that we're not. And it's possible that somebody in here is thinking they're a Christian. And maybe you're not. Because here's the thing. If you're not merciful, if you feel no sympathy for anyone else around you when you're walking around and seeing people who are in miserable states and suffering if you feel no sympathy, at all, then you're not a Christian. And that that may upset you. I I understand that. But here's the thing. I, and I know none of the other pastors here, want you to hear those dreadful words that Jesus speaks to some in Matthew 7, when he says, "'Not everyone who says to me, "'Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven.'" But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, and that, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So I'm I'm risking it if you get upset. But I would rather you be upset than to walk away fooling yourself into thinking that you are somebody that you're not. So if this bothers you, right, if you're really questioning this, man, come and talk to me after the service. Meet, you can meet with one of the other pastors here. You really should be able to talk to any of the members of Pillar Church of San Antonio. They should be able to explain to you how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But examine your heart. See if you're a merciful person. Test yourself. like right, Matthew 5.7. Back on track. We are merciful because he is merciful. Why will the merciful receive mercy? This one sounds different than the other Beatitudes, right? It almost sounds kind of circular, like the others, you know, uh, are the poor in spirit, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those like we looked at last week who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. But this one, the merciful receive mercy. That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Circular a little bit maybe. What is Jesus saying? Some have even interpreted this to mean that like you do mercy and that's how you earn mercy. But that can't be the way it works, can it? We can't earn anything from God. It's not a tit-for-tat thing. So why is it that those who have been shown mercy, those who are merciful, will receive more mercy? Well, we receive more mercy when we're merciful because we're not out of this fallen sinful world yet, are we? And we still sin. And so we still have to go before the Father and seek his mercy for us all the way through until Jesus comes again and makes everything new. And so those who are merciful will receive, continue to receive mercy and in the end when the judgment comes will receive mercy. So being merciful, we are blessed because we shall receive mercy. Not judgment on the judgment day which will happen to those who are unmerciful. As James says, James 2, from judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Almost saying the same thing that Jesus said. So how can we grow to be more merciful, right? We, we, we've admitted we don't do it 100% of the time. How can we cultivate being more merciful in our lives? Well, first, I think we need to, we need to reflect on the grace and mercy we've been shown by God in Christ Jesus. Like we looked at in Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. What was the problem with the servant in Matthew 18? He wasn't merciful to his fellow servant. And, he, and then he ended up in judgment. So we need to, we need to, uh, we need to reflect on that. We need to reflect deeply and continuously on the great mercy God showed us in forgiving us our great unpayable sin debt. We need to reflect on our helplessness before God, our miserable state. We need to reflect on the great cost God paid for us in the death of his son. We need to reflect on the fact that we are unworthy of his mercy. So, after we've reflected on this great mercy we've been shown by God, the next thing we, we need to do is we need to look away from ourselves. Look away from ourselves and see the needs of others, and take action to meet their needs. Philippians 2 again, right? Just before what we looked at with Jesus, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So I'm putting, normally, what do we do? Naturally, we put ourselves at a high point. We put everybody else at a low point. And Paul is saying to flip that around. Put people up here and put ourselves down here. Because that's what he did. He came down up from a high place, he came down to the low place and made himself low. And verse 4 let each of you look. Look. We have to look. I think I walk around a lot of times with these blinders on. Like I just, and and my focus goes from wide angle to narrow, and I'm really only. Looking out for my own interests But Paul says look not only to your own interests But also to the interests of others We have to count others more significant than ourselves We have to look and see Not at our own interests with blinders on But look out for the interests of others That's what the good Samaritan did He looked, he saw the man He had deep compassion for him And then he goes and he acts on his behalf He pushed his interests aside He's on a journey He has business to take care of we need to do that as well. So who are we looking to show, to show mercy to? Who are we looking to show mercy to? Basically, I'd say anyone who is in a helpless state. Anyone like Jesus mentioned in Matthew 25, right? The hungry, the thirsty, sojourners, naked, sick, those in prison. I've been thinking a lot about this, like I said. I dropped Caleb off, our son, at school, at John Jay High School. And every day we'd, we we'd drive by the school is on Marbach Road. And right under Marbach Road and Interstate 410, the loop there, right under there is this homeless village. I drive by it all the time. I see people there. And I was telling Angie this week, I'm like, I just, we need to do something, right? Like we have leftovers after meals. Maybe we're gonna collect those and we're gonna take them to them. Or we'll just go to Costco, we'll buy some bread, some meat and cheese, and we'll just go and make sandwiches. Something, right? I can't just have compassion for them every time I drive by. I need to be merciful, I need to act on that. But it's not just for those who are in physical need, right? What about those who are spiritually needy all around us? That's really important, right? Those who are dead in sins, following the course of this world, blinded by Satan, we can, we can look at them and wonder, what's wrong with them? Why can't they be like us? We can start to judge them. Instead of having compassion on them, recognizing that they're in the same state that we were once in. We once were blind by Satan. We once were walking and following the course of this world. We once were dead in our sins and trespasses. Sometimes we go out, we share the gospel. It's, it's really, I think it's, our motivation is really more duty than compassion, right? We, we think, well, I'm a Christian. I know I need to be sharing my faith. Um, and we talk a lot about evangelism it's one of our values here we do training on it and we do need to be out sharing the gospel with people but let's not let our motivation be duty bound right? like I just have to go and do it because that's that's it I see this person, I can tell they're lost I'm going to go and share the gospel with them so I can check the box say that I did evangelism God can still use that, no doubt people can still be saved but he cares about our heart our motive in doing it Whatever you look on the person with compassion, with pity, and then that moves you to go and then share the gospel with them in the hopes that God would cause them to be born again, for them to be changed, for them to be made new, just like you. Finally, I'd say, so physically, so spiritually, we want to be looking, but also in terms of forgiving others, forgiving one another, right? Because remember, forgiveness is tied up in mercy. We have people that have hurt us, hurt us bad. And, and I'm not saying that their sin doesn't count. I'm not saying that they didn't do the wrong thing. I'm not saying you just like, dismiss their sin as if it didn't matter. And I'm saying that it's the same way, the same way we've been forgiven by God greatly, great debt has been forgiven. And we're called to forgive in that same way, right? Forgiving, taking that cost, taking that debt on ourselves. If they come and they ask for forgiveness If they come and they plead for forgiveness Forgiving them because In God, God we have been forgiven In Christ So blessed are the merciful For they shall receive mercy To live out this beatitude We have to reflect on the mercy we've been shown We have to look away from ourselves And look at others all around us and in compassion, act to relieve them of their suffering, whether it's physical, spiritual, or those who have hurt us, forgiving them. Knowing all the while that we are blessed, we're approved by God, and we will receive mercy one day in the judgment. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Words from Jesus, Lord. I pray that we could live out this reality in our lives as those who are in Christ. We are merciful. And you give us mercy, new mercies every morning. Lord God, and for that we are thankful. And we know that when we stand before you one day in judgment, we will receive complete mercy in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would examine our heart's today that, we would, that those here would test their hearts to see whether they're there in Christ or not. And if not, get that settled today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, change us, grip us by your Holy Spirit, be moved through the compassion that we maybe have for others that we see around us. Not just have sympathy, but be moved by it, to act, to relieve them of their suffering. I pray, I ask all these things, In Jesus' name.